Hey everybody, this is Rabbi Zev Bennett. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is a new series that I'm doing with a good friend and family member of mine, Ariella Anushi. Uh, we're doing a series here called Embodied Torah. So this is a, a pretty much a new project for us. And uh, the idea is to sort of show how to apply all these deep Torah concepts in the real world. Ariella Anushi is a certified yoga therapist. She has a website called yogawithariella.com. She's been doing therapy. Uh, she's a service therapist for many years, uh, and she's also a call teacher and an experienced educator, informal and formal. And so you can check her out at her website, Yoga with Ariella, and tune in to hear this first episode of this brand new series as we try to take these Torah concepts and apply them and embody them in our lives, in the real world, all the deep Kabbalah concepts of the Yisod block. So check it out for free uh, on this channel. And then uh, the subsequent episodes of the series will be available at yisodblocks.com with a subscription. So hope you want to join us and support what we're trying to create as me and Ariella begin this new series together. Thanks so much and see you guys in the episode. Hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bennett. Welcome to this new series called Embodied Torah. Uh, Embodied Torah is a series that I am collaborating with for the first time with a good friend of mine by the name of Ariella Anushi. And the concept, you can kind of get an idea of what it is just from the name of the series. Embodied Torah is the idea of trying to take all of the Asod Blocks concepts that we're sharing in all the different series that we've developed so far and that we're still developing all the time uh, to bring them down into the world, into our actual lives. And I don't just mean that in a practical sense, because one of the things that I learned from Ariella, which I'll introduce in a second, is that the ideas that, that I try to share on Yisod Blocks and things that I've learned in my own Torah explorations, so it's not just about how to actualize them in a practical sense, as if you're just trying to do them, you know, just like, let me just do the actions now that match the underlying concepts, but embodied Torah, the reason why we're calling the series uh, Embodied Torah, is because the ideas of Kabbalah and all the concepts of the Torah, when you really take them the way they're supposed to go, they just fill every layer of what it, of your being. And our being, as I've tried to articulate in a lot of the other thing, a lot of the other content that I've shared on your soapbox, is really this. It's it's a vast space of our thoughts and our emotions and and our even our our physiology and our biology. And so. Ariella is going to tell us a little bit about herself. Um, she is uh, a person who I am both privileged to know personally, but also we have a family connection. She's also my brother-in-law's sister, which is a fun time for me to be able to collaborate with someone who's in my family in that way. Um, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her background and sort of what is it she does professionally, and then uh, to give us a little bit of an idea of her expertise and how that's going to relate to the embodied Torah trajectory that I'm really hoping we're going to be able to create with this series. And it's going to really be helping me to compensate for my own uh, deficiencies. The biggest one I would say is as if you're already a, uh, a repeating listener to our content, then you already know that I'm very big on the ideas and taking them and actually uh, manifesting them inside of us is not something that I focus on that much in your soapbox. That's really Ariella's, uh, uh, her, all her training and all her knowledge and expertise is uh, an incredibly valuable balance to that. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, distorted, but just kind of the way that I am. So let's hear from you a little bit, Ariella. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll, uh, we'll launch this as it was always meant to be. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be teaming up with you and sharing this, uh, this wisdom, this insight with uh, with all the listeners. 
Um, so I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and made Aliyah at the age of 17, and have been learning Torah and excited about Torah since I got my first sitter and learned Modani. And um, I've been fascinated by the concept of, you know, you look in Modani and it's that I am, you know, am I my neshama? Am I my body? And as someone who grew up with different health issues, I was always troubled by that um, identifying myself as this physical body that didn't seem perfect. And I really struggled to figure out how to exist in it. And Torah has really helped guide me. So I always knew that I wanted to be involved with learning and understanding Torah on deeper and higher levels. And so I studied to be a Tanakh and Gemara teacher. Nice. And, um, Good things to study. Yeah, yeah. And then I got, I got, I got quite sick and it was like Hashem was, was guiding me onto a slightly different path because in order to learn how to, how to function, I was really in a, in a bad physical uh, state. And um, I found yoga, which was life-changing for me, really figuring out how to strengthen and release tension. And that whole process is not just addressing physical issues, it is also inviting awareness to mental, emotional, spiritual, energetic, and really recognizing the wholeness of ourselves. And everything that I was learning just seemed to fit so seamlessly with, with the depths of Torah knowledge, not just on, not on a superficial level, but the, the more Kabbalistic um, ideas of what our existence in this world is really about. And I have been engaged in a process of trying to weave together and navigate through um, understanding how, how we're using and utilizing Torah to, to live more fully because there is tremendous wisdom in the body. And, and we, from my experience, um, the cerebral <laughs> approach that we have, this very intellectualized approach that we have to learning Torah is, has served a tremendous purpose but as we come back to living in the land, as we are existing in this very, very physically demanding land, we also need to understand how to live in our physical bodies. And I think that there's a whole world of wisdom to explore there with, with the beauty of Torah guiding us. Right. So uh, a couple of things I wanted to just some thoughts that I wanted to, that were, I guess were triggered by some of the things you're saying, obviously, but also things I wanted to just add for our listeners. Just... Um, as you all know, if you've been listening to Yesod Blocks for a while, so the focus, uh, the, I would say the theme of the whole, the, the whole platform is basically to articulate how all of these different ideas and philosophies and concepts that are kind of floating around in the world, uh, how if they're concepts that are real and true, then A, they're real and true, which means that they work. Um, and B, that means that they are rooted in Torah, because if the Torah is actually a map of all of existence in its entirety, as the Medrash says in the beginning of, of Sefer Bereshis, so then that has to actually mean something. In, in other words, it can't just be saying that in a nice vacuum, well, the Torah is the map of existence and everything is in it, but, you know, it doesn't really mean anything in reality. If that's actually true, then it's also really true. And so um, the the reason why I just I wanted to do this with you, Ariella, is because I think that 
as I already said earlier, but now we kind of can see it a little more fully. Just to take one of your examples, just the example of yoga. Um, so if I, I did yoga growing up and I do yoga now and I, I use it primarily for stretching um, and it's an amazing you know, system of, of, uh, of fit, like just physical yeah. ways of doing things. Um, but I think that for a lot of people, what's hard, and you can tell me what you think about this, is that they experience yoga, they, like, you know, even the, the, one of the books that I, that I use when I was learning yoga when I was younger, it has a lot of different ideas and thoughts in it that are philosophical. And then people sometimes will look at that and say, oh, well, this is now a problem. It's a conflict with Torah. And so, and what I've tried to articulate whenever I talk about this particular topic is that um, there are obviously distorted philosophies in different places that are actually reflections of the truth um, in some form, maybe being misapplied or whatever. But all of these ideas, like when I was going through these yoga books, I mean, there's so much that is simply exactly the same ideas that we have in Torah. And so my, like one of my sub goals for Embodied Torah, this series, um, is to just to do a, a whole focused, um, uh, a focused, I guess, discussion or assessment. Uh, maybe I shouldn't even say assessment because it's really a byproduct. The focus on the area of our physical being and how we live and embody the Torah um, is a byproduct of sort of showing how all of these techniques and approaches and ideas are not just like these pie in the sky good ideas because they you know they just they're, they're, they work, which is also not a bad thing. Um, but to go even to, to go to the depth of it and say, well, here's a concept in the world of yoga, which is a, the concept of focusing our minds or meditating, which is not, not just is it like harmonious with the concept of tefillah, but for those who have listened already to the tefillah series somewhat, or are listening to some of the other other areas where tefillah appears, like in the Kabbalah basic series, so then there's already this beginning of an understanding that the concept of tefillah is basically focusing our minds to access the deeper layers of our own self that all the way at the root are actually Hashem's presence, and then manifest that in our in our ways of being. That's almost like ripple through our emotional states, our, the kinds of thoughts that we think, and then the way that we behave with each other, and the way that we actually experience our own, our own bodies on a constant basis, like that's a yoga concept. I mean, like I read that in a yoga book, like probably even before I even learned it in the Torah setting, and then I was like, well, why is this not being articulated this way? Because it'd be super helpful for so many people to realize these things are not, right. not like dovetailing, they're like the same thing. So I want to just also so I want to stress that here for a couple in, like in a couple of ways. One is to articulate that no anybody who hears the word yoga or any other kind of ideas that are that sound like they're from outside philosophy should understand that the whole goal of this is to sift through and show exactly what's where, and then also just to learn things that there are plenty of things people are doing in the world who have figured out Torah truths all over the place on purpose by accident whatever the reasons are and each one can be traced and then have developed fantastic tools that we can use as long as we don't look at them in isolation from Torah, then they can be fully activated. And again, even if you're looking at them in isolation from Torah, they can still be useful. But like the goal here is to show the integration of all these ideas and how they all fit together on a Torah level and then how we can then use these tools that other people have developed that really can make our lives like so much more deep and Torah real that it's like just, it's like launching ourselves into space with this, so. Yeah, this is a really important point that you're making because I actually resisted trying out yoga for so long because it was stuck in my head that this is not Jewish right. and I don't want to expose myself to something that's not authentically ours. And do I have the knowledge, the insight, the wisdom to be able to discern what is okay and what's not? Right. And I really resisted it. And it's so chaval because I, I missed out on tremendous healing much earlier on in the process of my life. <laughs> and, um, but I actually want to share a really interesting experience that I had on the beginning at the beginning of my yoga journey. Um, 
which was that I actually started practicing while I was in America. Mm -hmm. And I was going to the local studio in Cleveland and going to the classes. And it was fantastic on just a purely physical level. I was learning how to strengthen and stretch and find the balance between those two. And I was recognizing mental emotional shifts and I was very guarded because during Shavasana, which is the, the end, the last part of yoga, after you do all these physical postures, you're supposed to rest. There's a concept of letting that everything, all the work that you have done integrate in on a physical level, on an energetic level. Um, it's like sort of like letting it settle. Exactly. Yeah. Letting everything settle. And the teacher would always read from Tao. Mm -hmm, right. And my my guards were up, my my radar was up. I'm like, okay, what? Okay, she's talking about like the concept of staka. Okay, so I'm gonna think about staka right. and like and be really, really, really guarded. So I wasn't really relaxed. I wasn't right. You're like doing work. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so for a few months, I was practicing like this, and then I came back to Israel, and I went to my teacher Esther Alfasi in Badain. And the rain season had just begun mm -hmm. and we're laying down at the end of a very intense and fantastic practice. And she's talking about the, the blessing of the rain and listening to the sound of the rain as it's coming. And the experience that I had was like, I was all the work that I had done for those months in Cleveland was all sitting on a very, very surface level. Right. And as soon as I felt this spiritual safety, I surrendered into the safety of not just the physical space that she created, but I knew that she was talking about Jewish concepts, things that were connected to my belief, to Hashem. It was like the gates opened up and all of this work and awareness that I had been building up just washed through me. It, I, afterwards, That's I got up. Cool. I'm like, did everyone just experience right. that? <laughs> but it, but it, it makes me think of, of what we say in Shema, Alvavecha, right? right? We put this on our hearts, and so that when our hearts do crack open, right? What's going to fill it? Hashem, right? Love. No, that's very. It's very interesting how. Um, I mean, I think the that the the progression that you describe, like it's. Um, it's almost like the difference between being out in the world and then coming home. You know, it's like, when you, like and, and when you go out like this, and there's a Gemara like this, which talks about, essentially, there's a few different ways we could, a few different Gemaras we could use, but like, the one that I think is probably the easiest for this is like the, there's a Gemara Masechus Ksuvis, which talks about how um, um, someone who's outside of the land of Israel, so it's as if they don't have an Elohim, like this language that it uses, but it doesn't say that they don't have one, it's as if, it's a pretty well-known Gemara. Yeah. And if you're, in, if you're in Israel, then it's as if you do have one. And it's not saying that you do or don't in either case. It's saying that it's as if you do or don't because, you know, when you go out into the world and you leave your home, so then um, now there's all these, there's almost like this war of the different um, thoughts and ideas. And, 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 and again, not war like a, like a negative war, but I just kind of mean like, like the chaos of like all these things interacting. And then we have to sp basically constantly sift through what's happening to us and what's happening to the world around us and then like try to cre get clarity about all that. And then when you're in your actual home, so then, um, you know, things are kind of just more at rest because it's just the place that you meld with naturally. And both of them can actually be distorted in either case. It's not really relevant whether they are or aren't in this, in this particular case. It's just kind of like the, 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 the ability to sort of like let things flow with yourself 
in your when you're in your own space so that works and i think that you know the way that you just articulated it to me just reminding me of like like the torah is the space that i can always feel that way like when i read secular books or i'm exploring different ideas and i'm and, I'm, and i do this all the time and it's basically like you said it's work like you actually have to like figure out and you don't feel settled but not because you're nervous or it's just like you can tell that there are things that are being shared that are not necessarily going to actually um um intersect in exactly the right places from a truth place um what's what you're trying to achieve and then when you're in the torah space like when i it doesn't matter what i'm learning if i'm learning the, like gemara about like some random set of halachos and hilchos nazikin or i'm learning like the deepest kabbalah of like you know rav ashlag and the zohar it's like i just feel like it's safe there because i can trust that these are people who have been figuring out all these things at the level of integrity that I'm looking for for thousands of years. Right. And so that's, you know, the way I like to always say this is like, you know, the Torah is not just like another field. And we all kind of say that, but like, it really isn't. Like it's, it's the, if it's really, if it's really the map, it can handle anything. In other words, like you can throw whatever you want at it. It's, it's the map of all things. So like, if you try to figure out what's true in it, then it can tolerate that. As opposed to like, you know, something which is more man-made or things that are just Again, a lot of true philosophies that are out there, um, but you have to you have to do more work to like to, to trust it. And, and the irony is, people might say, well, based on that, well, that means when you're learning Torah, you can you don't need to do as much work. It's actually the opposite because you know that you can trust the Torah, so then you can go all in and you can like really really read deeply and ask and and almost like I like to say like to harass the Torah. Yeah, because like, the Torah can handle it. It's like your parent. Your parents must be able to tolerate you. Because there's safety yeah. there. I think that the right. word that, exactly. you, that that keeps on coming up is trust. Yeah. And when there is trust, then there is the experience of safety. And in the embodiment world, that is crucial. If we do not, if we are not in an environment, whether external or internal of safety, we cannot have an embodied experience. Right. Right. And, and to have an embodied experience means to be, to be living life as a felt authentic experience, not as a performance. Right. That's great. And yeah. I mean, we can that's, unpack unpack yeah, that it's statement. It's a huge, huge <laughs> sentence right there. Right, because it's so easy to fall into performance. This is what I'm supposed to do, yes. and this is what this is. These are the the motions and right. and behaviors that are expected of me. But what does it mean to authentically show up and experience those actions, those thoughts, those words? And we cannot be in a state of experiencing if we are not experiencing safety and trust. So how do we find that safety and trust within the world of Torah? Right. Right. That's, that's really what our, what our work is all about. And that that's in, it's in our learning, it's in our communities, it's in our families. How do we create safety and trust? Right. I guess like, again, we're, we're, we're kind of in a, in a particular path now in, in our discussion. Like I'm just thinking like, as we go again, very organically, just kind of letting it flow here even though I really do want to ask you more questions about kind of like what your, you know, your whole the embodied uh, Torah, like kind of what it, like if you could describe your definitions of it and things like that. We'll get to that in a second. But I just wanted to say um, in terms of the safety and the trust, like I think if you really, if a person really kind of like asked me for like my, my like distilled elevator pitch for like what it is I'm trying to do with these sewed blocks, it's basically trying to show how, because each of us is our, has our own set of, perceptions of Torah and perceptions of the world. And we're in such different places because of Das Tovara, because of this whole issue of the Eitzah Das, that I, that, you know, it's a very central theme in, in the Chumash itself and, and in all of Torah thought is that this capacity that we have to like just develop our own perceptions based on our preferences, as opposed to really being um, aligned with 
our own inner and outer experiences of reality. It's just hard for us to like, you know, we almost like pick and choose which experiences we want to like use to build our perceptions. And we do it often without even realizing that we're doing that. And so the goal, I think, is really to, to create the safety that you're saying. In other words, the safety is, let me, let me come out to where you are in your particular set of perceptions, which is what empathic listening is. Like, let me actually try to experience what it is that you are seeing and your perceptual landscape. And then I can take you by the hand and we can like walk together through all the different ideas that the Torah uses to sort of heal these types of different, whatever the particularities of the person's perceptual landscapes are. And then it's like, oh, now I see myself so much more fully and, and I see why I felt the way that I did or why I reacted the way that I did and, you know, how I, or why I generally respond in certain ways. And then like the, all this, the Tikkun Hamidos dynamics that everyone is, that we always try to teach, you know, we're teaching in schools or whatever. And it's like, this is the big picture of that. And it's like, ultimately, it, like, and I, I don't think we often articulate it as it's about creating safety of the Torah, even though it really is that. Because if you think about it, like on a trust level and a safety level, the idea of that is, well, I have my own things that make me feel safe that I've used, I've developed in my development as a person. And that's where I go in my mind. Sometimes it's about being quiet. Sometimes it's about arguing. Sometimes it's about being con uh, confrontational. Sometimes it's about blaming. Like we use these different tactics to try to get what we want or to feel better about ourselves. And like often they're counterproductive because we don't always have such great, we sometimes will misapply a particular tactic to a situation where it doesn't really belong. And then, um, and that's the distortions of the Eitzadah. So then the, the Torah is this, is like, it's trying to help us to, to see what we do and to see our, our way of being. And as we have this capacity, this, this self-awareness called Das Atmo, like to be able to separate ourselves from our, from our perceptions and from our, our emotions and our thoughts and actually observe them and then reflect on them and then use the Torah to almost like rewrite them. And so the, the only thing is that if we don't see the Torah that way itself, if our perceptions, it's, it's one thing if our perceptions of ourselves are distorted or of other people, but if our perceptions of the Torah are distorted, can't even access it. There's no way to even That's see right. that there's something there that you could use because it's like, well, when I was growing up, it was taught to me in this way and that way. And then we just kind of leave it that way. Just like, unfortunately, how people talk about Hashem. It's like, well, there's a guy in the sky that we encountered him when we were five. And then when we're 25, we're like, that's really not something that I could even begin to relate right. we to. We allow ourselves to continue evolving, but we don't right. always exactly. let our relationship with Hashem. With Hashem, with the Torah. And because we basically almost like implicitly write it off. And, and that's, that's what's what's great about the Torah, at least in terms of its ability to even deal with that is what we said a minute ago, which is like, because the Torah is like that parent that when like the child is upset and they run to the parent, they start hitting the parent like in their, in their anger and the parent just hugs them and the kid keeps on hitting and the parent just keeps on hugging. And it's like the Torah will always do that. It just never stops. And like, yeah. and, and that's why it's actually better to be angry at the Torah and to like have problems with it. Cause at least you're that, in relationship. Exactly. As opposed to just not caring exactly. about it and being like, well, this is just a waste of my time. And so it's like, you know, the field of physics can handle a lot of things too, but it's just never going to give you all the things. It might give you a good map of certain fascinating aspects of existence. Like really the way that physics works is like, it really, it also dovetails with like deep, deep, like my Merkava, my Berachus, like aspects of Torah. But like, it's still not going to give you like the, the, all the layers that you need for the rest of yourself. So, uh, so again, you can still enjoy that and it's great stuff, but like, it's not going to be as embracing as what you really need, even though yeah. truth can always handle your upsetness, but like the full truth is way more useful. And so, you know, we can encourage our listeners as a good, a good as a good tactic already is like, you know, if you have issues with the Torah, you don't, and you don't, you don't see it, how it's that big. And maybe you should like attack it, you know, go up to people. And uh, I, did, I did this a little myself. Like I used to go up to, to teachers of mine and like ask them annoying questions. 
because <laughs> the annoying questions are the ones that get get there. You know, they, they get you where you want to go. It's yeah. the it's the. Well, you can only questions. ask those annoying questions if there's safety with within that yeah. relationship that you know that that you're not going to be called an apicorus for right. for asking these these types of challenging questions, yeah. um, which is not move on my love, which is no, yeah. not something that we take for granted. Um, a word that you you just used to describe our relationship with Hashem and being able to to punch and hit and right. and express all of our different feelings and the embrace that we're actually receiving from the Torah from Hashem. So I, I just want to invite you and the listeners to to take a moment and actually wrap your hands around your arms <laughs> and give yourself a little hug for a second. Right, I'm doing it. Do this with me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and. And take a moment to become aware of the sensation of your hands touching your arms, of you giving, giving your, giving a hug, right? We can become aware of, of the sensation of my hand touching something, right? But we can also shift our perception to become aware of the sensation of the arms being held by hands. That's fascinating because you're experiencing both at once and you're the one yeah. doing both. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, so we're, we're, we can like ping pong right. our mind between these two sensations. And then I'm going to challenge, challenge you. Just take a moment to notice your breath as well. Is it flowing? Were you holding it? I know I was holding my breath for a moment. I'm excited about talking about <laughs> right. this stuff. And sometimes we'll when I get excited, breathing. we stop, right. we stop breathing. But, but what, what can start to happen when we actually shift our perception of, of what it means to be in a body? Am I, is it an internal external experience or, or is, is there in, am I just t receiving information from the outside in, or am I allowing myself to receive the, in, the wealth of information that is available from the inside out as well? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, there's like a classic, like I, I so many People like to talk I about this. We're like, still holding yourself. Though, I just like I like holding yeah, myself. It feels good. Yeah, I, there's safety yeah, and there's surrender. I, I want to feel held right now. You know, I'm, I'm, we're in the middle of a podcast. I, I encourage you to hug yourself yeah. at least once a day. Right. And, and just to stress this, also um, the layers underneath that, like the the sensation of being hugged. If you ever think about this, like just like the idea of hugging someone or being hugged, like it's a little random if you don't actually assess the layers of depth here. Like you're just like. You put your arms, which are just, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use like grossly biological terms right now. You're putting appendages that you use to manipulate objects in the world around you. So you can like move them to your mouth. So you could consume them to make your body regenerate. Or, you know, these are like very harsh. And I do it on purpose. So I'm sorry for doing it, but it has to be done because otherwise it's hard to really see what it is that you're doing. And then and once you see what it is that you're doing, then you can actually strip away the, the taking it for granted and then be like, well, what's really under this? Yeah. I mean, like the sensation of being hunted is just wrapping your... Uh, manipulative appendages around somebody else's body so they can feel pressure. Now, why is that so significant for us? Well, because we intuitively sense that our our, our arms are actually the way exactly exactly like the Ramban says, like the the Medrash says, it's like the Hashem's Hashem's hands. Hashem doesn't have hands. We're analogies for Hashem. We have this this what's called the Tzelim Elokim, which just basically means the entirety of the stack of transmission of you, the endless Neshama that you are, into the world. That, the entirety of that is like, it's exactly analogous to how Hashem manifests himself within being and also as being, which is wild because like he's both, he is being and also is a character in the story. It's kind of like yeah. the author of, you know, right. Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, like being both the writer and also a character in the story. And if you think about it, she actually is that, right? Because the characters are just, they're just, um, they're compressed 
aspects of her mind. I mean, Harry Potter is some aspect of J.K. Rowling. She just is, like he just is. Right. So she is both the story and the characters. And Hashem is the same thing as that, according to the Torah's map of existence. So what that kind of leads to is that the the idea of our of our arms is an analogy for Hashem's arms. Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, for example, Yad Chazaka. So that doesn't mean that Hashem has very, very big hands that he used to take us out of Mitzrayim. It, the, the word Yad there basically references the dynamic of, of control over forces of existence. And so what happens when somebody wraps their arms around you is that you sense exactly the same thing that you sensed when you were in the womb, which is again why it's also, like at least to my knowledge, maybe you can say more about this, but like people who are in the womb, there's a sense of being enwrapped which is why the word rechem, which means womb, is also the same as the word rachamim, where there's a sense that when someone is, is being merciful towards you, it means that they're they're enwrapping you with their with their caring and their love for you. Right. Well, energetically speaking, the arms are an extension of the heart. Oh, that's so cool. Position, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, I mean, when you when you go in for when you embrace someone with a hug, first of all, there's an opening of the arms. So there's a there's an element of vulnerability that's taking place, an opportunity right. for connection. And then embracing them with with these arms, these hands that are energetically an extension of the heart. To that's, I mean, yeah, such a beautiful way of thinking about a hug. And right. we have the capacity to do that for ourselves as well. Right. And then we basically the the sensation of feeling enwrapped, meaning enwrapped, not unwrapped, enwrapped. Um, that's the right word for that. Um, but the that that you're that you're in in, in contrast to the constant. Um, also present sense that we are isolated. In other words, what our bodies do is they create, because of Das Tovara, they convey to us this perception that I am here and you are there and all of us are living like completely separately. And even though we like we have all these interactions, but we often feel like that, that sense of isolation that our body conveys because look, here's the line of my body where it ends. It makes us feel um, much more, like it's almost like a feeling like you're 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 being eroded by existence because we're tiny. Existence is huge. Things could happen to us all the time that are out of our control. And then when you suddenly are wrapped in somebody's arms, so then and again, this is exactly the whole idea of embodied Torah. It's like even even literally, because like what's happening there is on the body level, you are suddenly experiencing yourself as not alone. In other words, I don't just mean like. Emotionally, I don't feel as alone because someone's hugging me. Like it's, not, I mean, like what you're talking about now—the sensation of arms touching hands, or like, or just like you know, even like when you touch, like the just on the on a, again philosophical but also conceptual, like two, like when you touch one hand to the other, it's like, what are you feeling? Like which hand is touching which? You know, mm -hmm. like, but at, like the same idea, like when like when you're wrapping your arms around yourself or someone else is hugging you, like the obviously we feel better, but to understand why we feel better, because it's not just that. Like if I tell somebody I care about you, I love you, right? Like that make that also make people feel more received and less alone on an emotional level the the hugging and all of physical interaction like physical intimacy these are all things that make us feel body level experientially that we are not actually ending where our body line ends well we literally aren't if you especially if you go to hug someone and and you go to their to their right no you go to their left. You go to your right, <laughs> their left. Your hearts end up lining yeah. up, and we those are electrical impulses, and and hearts literally resonate with each other, and right. they start beating together. That's so cool. There's, I mean, that's you know, babies that are born, you skin to skin. Right. That that regulation that takes place with a newborn baby, it doesn't stop with newborn babies. <laughs> 
And when we really allow ourselves to not just okay, my arms are wrapping around another human being, but you actually are able to tune into the beating of your heart and the, the, the um, movement of your breath and are able to listen on a heart level to the other person's heartbeat. We can regulate each other. We, we can change someone's heartbeat by embracing them and being present with yourself, with them, it is powerful. It is healing. It is so important that we become aware that it's not just, oh, I'm going to give my friend a hug. I haven't seen them in a while. No, right. take a moment. There, there are real changes that are happening. There's potentials for genuine connection and healing because we do live in such an isolated reality, even more so these past few years, but it really started before Corona, yeah. this feeling of isolation. And when we do have the opportunity to connect, are we really showing up in presence and allowing the fullness of that connection to have its impact on us? Right. I mean, I really, I, I really that, the Corona example, I really want to stress it because I think what, one of the things that I think is so hard during the pandemic situation is that we... And this, I think, has happened in every every generation where there's a crisis. So people experience the contrast between the crisis and the not crisis. And obviously, the crisis is a crisis. Like it's more difficult in certain ways, or there are different kinds of difficulties. But I want to stress that, like you know, the, the Torah approach to that is basically that all crises are actually subcategories of this massive crisis that we've been stuck in for like a few thousand years since yeah. the Eitzadah story happened. And I don't want to belittle. The local crisis, obviously, of any kind. You know, people who went through, you know, the Holocaust is a good example of like a massive crisis that we spend so much time being horrified by it that it's hard to almost relate to an actual person who just had their life kind of go from like one crazy thing, like one, like from like normal life, whatever form it was, to like a crazy thing. Because you just think of it for us, it's history, but for them, it was just like that's their just regular life. Suddenly, like everything shifted in a in a in a, in a way that like for them, they had their own storyline thread going through that, you know, knocks on the door, bangs on the door, getting take their stuff taken away, like, you know, crazy things that for us, we've unfortunately, to a certain degree, we view it as history instead of really trying to live that. And it's hard to do. And I get you why. You don't have to try to live that. We are living that. <laughs> well, because yeah. if you know anything about epigenetics, we know that we inherit trauma from, from previous generations. The trauma experiences of our ancestors are affecting our genes that's, our dna that's so underrated and when yeah. we and when we you know we think about about you know doing tikkun in the world and and trying trying to fix things really being able to recognize that it's not just our own lives and it's not just our own struggles that we are addressing we are doing this work for all the generations all the gilgulim before right. us and and here we are back in Eretz Israel, back back living in the land and how are we showing up how are we right. how are we, we doing are we this work to move forward right um so there's a bunch of things i still want to track back to some of the things already from before now um with the corona example but then also before the actual body side of it the body experience side right so what what i wanted to just like what you said about how when you hug somebody um and how we don't see it fully because hugs are something that we just kind of do and also and and, and Pairing that for a second with the awareness that Corona is a local crisis in a certain way, but that the larger crisis has already always been there because our tendency is not only to take things for granted because of Das Tovara, but also to take things for granted that are that are positive and useful because of Das Tovara, but also to take for granted our state of isolation, which now it's all, I almost feel like the state of isolation that we all know that we're in, we all feel it all the time, 
but we constantly try to use our routines to feel like it's not there or to almost like ignore that gnawing inner sense. Um, and then Corona is this thing which like kind of made it almost like okay to talk about isolation because it's so obvious that we're isolating. Um, and so in, and, and in, in tandem with that realization that like we were always isolated because our bodies scream isolation. So now we can have a deeper, almost like owning of that awareness. And then we can in, in tandem have a deeper owning of the tools at our disposal to actually work with that and, and, and deal with it. We deal with it on a regular basis. And your example of the hug, and then, you know, the example of, of the regulating with the baby, like those, those, like just to, the thing that it triggered in me right away was like, there are these very rare instances in life where you actually experientially can live through the bridging of bodies, where bodies are often experienced, again, almost always as separate. There's me, there's you, there's everybody, each person is their own body. And then there's like these very rare instances where there's bridging on the body level where you actually experience this, you know, the, 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 the non-isolation side of bodies. And if you, if you track those, every single one of them is this massive thing in our lives. I mean, the sexual relationship and then giving birth to a child and then smaller versions of that, even just hugging, which is like also has sexual overtones sometimes. And even if it doesn't, there's still this, it's still like a, it's not something that we do that often. And we only do with people that we're in an immediate blood relationship family with usually, or friends that we're close to because it's vulnerable. Yeah. Like what you see is that like, it, there are ways to do it. And it's, and, and just as we own our isolation and say, it's actually not just Corona, like our bodies scream this out and we don't see it. We almost don't want to admit it. Cause then we're almost like showing weakness to each other, to the world. Oh, like I'm not, I'm okay. I'm fine the way that I am. And then like on the other side, it's like being comfortable giving hugs and getting hugs, both which are not simple things necessarily for each person. And then seeing like, these are not just like side tools. In other words, it's not just kind of like, well, I can just think my way through this stuff or just like, you know, I just have it inside and I'll do any of these things. Like, no, we need on all levels of the stack. We have to be body healing. We have to be emotionally vulnerable. We have to be mentally expressive and sharing what we think and also listening and receiving other people's mental sharings. And then all that supposed to you know flood upwards towards the top of the stack and then help us to actually develop perceptions yeah. that are true and that are more real yeah so, so yeah. it's interesting that you're using the word stacks in, yeah. uh, in, <laughs> in yoga philosophy there's this concept of the five koshas the five aspects or sheaths of a person and and we they talk we talk about the the physical aspect of a person um everything that is made up of the food that we eat right and then more subtle than that, we have the energetic body, which is really anything that flows um, in the body. So classically, the example is breath, but it's also the flow of blood. It's also the flow of digestion, how we're processing, how we're, we're nourishing and regulating uh, right. the body. And that, that, that energetic body fills the physical aspect of us. Right. And then more subtle than that, we have our thoughts and our emotions. Um, and that those also fill or or deplete right. this this physical aspect of us, and then more subtle than that, we have our spiritual aspect, the spiritual level. And in yoga philosophy, they're they're not talking about religion; um, they're talking about our awareness and our relationship to something beyond ourselves. So that can be family, it can be community, it can be nature, it can be the world, it can be Hashem, it can be the cosmos, whatever, whatever is allowing someone or all the things 
that we connect to that are beyond ourselves, recognizing that on the one hand, we are whole, we are shalem, right. but we're also part of a bigger whole. Um, and then more subtle than that is this um, aspect of us that, that is called bliss, this all-encompassing full body experience of love and joy which in according to the yoga tradition they say that really only the greatest sages experience mm -hmm. this for any kind of extended time but i i really believe that many people have experienced this whether it's deep in, in meditation yeah it's it's fragments. a it's a fleeting moment right. you can get you can and get usually like uh, flashes of it That's exactly the more you try to hold on to it yeah. the faster it fades away and we experience this um deep in meditation in dance orgasm anything that is fully encompassing and just allowing fully us to being yeah exactly yeah. and all of these are are sheaths covering the the light the the neshama that is in sof Right. And when we're able to recognize that we are in the Shema that, that is infinite um, and we are clothed in all of these different layers and aspects of us, we can start to understand the interconnectedness of all of these aspects that if we want to have so many people come to work with me um, because they're having physical pain and they're like, I just want my back pain to go away. Right. Just, just, on a, just show me the stretches. Almost like show a symptomatic. Me. I'm like, okay, well, I, I can help you with that, but, right. but if you really want to experience healing, you can't just work on the physical level. You have to bring your breath into it as well. And people are usually pretty open to like, okay, I, you know, I can understand if I hold my breath. Go ahead and hold your breath for a few seconds. You're gonna start noticing some changes in your body, right? right? And then. And then I'm like, okay, so we're going to be working on the physical level, but we're also going to be working with the breath. But, but also we need to be aware of thoughts and feelings that we're having. And already some people start getting a little bit uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to be thinking not, about my not, thoughts. Right, they're not familiar areas in their mind. To they're not familiar or they're not safe. They right. haven't, they haven't well, experienced comfort. Words, exactly. Things that are not safe, you try to avoid going. Exactly. It's almost like we have these patches of, in the garden of our mind. They're not mowed or have no, no landscaping there yeah. because they scare us. But when we're having these, when we're restricting ourselves from experiencing our thoughts or our emotions, that's going to have an effect on yeah. our breath. Or if we stop, if we hold our breath or restrict our breath in a certain way, that's also going to have an effect on our thoughts and our emotions. Right. And recognizing the interconnectedness of all of the different aspects of ourselves and, and really our work is finding where's the access point. And that access point can change at different stages of our lives, that access point can change for different situations, different things that we're trying to address. But once we recognize the interconnectedness of all of these different aspects, we can more intelligently and effectively find the balance within all of those so that our neshama can, can, shine can be shining out. Right. We can be experiencing this world and 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 sharing light in this world that is that is healing yeah, that is you, nourishing which you basically is, have a full conduit all the way from Hashem at the root straight out into the world in, in a complete one and basically what's called the aftasakolelas that all of it is included all of the different parts are all lined up and then the shining just yeah. not the movie the shining but like the shining just thanks for the out. clarification exactly <laughs> those who were confused for a moment there um yeah, in terms of the sheath concept, so I mean that's just straight. Like, there's two analogies that are used in Chazal basically for for the what's called the olamos. 
So, um, and there's five olamos basically, which is the same five things, and they're analogous to the, to the, to the five, what we'll call five levels of the neshama. The word neshama doesn't really fit there because neshama is actually the third level in the middle of that. So there's nefesh, ruach, neshama, chai, yechida. Yechida is like the bliss concept that you articulated essentially, or even like yechida, trying to get out of yechida. You could even articulate it right. as that. Um, but the two um, structural patterns there are either, it's either done in a linear way from like, you know, up and down, which is why the word I use is the stack for that. But then the, um, the layered way, which is basically from in to out, from inner to outer and outer to inner, or they even uh, this past Shabbos I saw Rav Ashlag uses the word uses an actual onion as the analogy. It's like these layers that then um, are are not instead of being up and down, it's just from all the way within you, the root of you, all the way to the outer form of the world, and all of existence has those same layers. Like the Medr says also in um, in Parshas Yisro that Hashem ripped open all the layers of existence, and Bnei Israel suddenly saw the totality of who they were and what and who Hashem is and who you know kind of what everything is, and they just. You know, they just left their bodies because it was like, well, our bodies are nothing to do with that almost. It's like they're just the very edge of it. And they like essentially expanded to fill the space that they, that they're, you know, intangible, endless, shining, shining light selves that they are. Something just was like, hey, I don't need to be this, this small. I'm actually gigantic. So that's like, that's essentially trying to access that uh, through all these things. I guess I wanted to say one other thing uh, from what you said. Oh, just again, in terms of the, the yoga language, I mean, it's very fascinating to watch how these constructs, you know, the, the example of sages that reach that state. So we have the, that exact same language is our language. In other words, I, yeah. I, I would even just look at that and say, um, the reaching of Yechida, you know, having those flashes of like, you know that it's there and you have a moment of that where you're like, where everything clicks for a second. So like that's actually, it, it can be accessed with this long-term investment. The Torah basically is depicting for us how the more you really, really do this stuff and you take it through all the levels, exactly how you described, then that's really where we're, that's what we're trying to get to. And that's actually doable. You know, like the Ramam writes that at the end, towards the end of, the, of, the, of this phase, when we start getting towards the phase where the Itzada starts to almost weaken and then we can actually see things more clearly again. And then we get towards Olm Haba, which is like where our bodies are fully aligned with our Neshamos and we can actually live without disease and without death. And we're like fully shining in that way, incrementally more and more and more. Like that's the that, that he like that's what's that's where we're trying to get to. The Ram writes that that that's that that can happen. It will happen at, as we get to this phase, and we're you know I think we're within two hundred years, even less, of the full culmination of that till we get to the real Om Haba like state where people are starting to get you know woken up from being dead and things like that. Um, but like that target makes it at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, it makes it so much more like I don't say alive, but also just like purposeful in what we're doing. Yeah. We're not just like, we're not, even as you said, it's not a religion. Torah was never a religion. And you, you, like, it was, it was a map of, of, of what is. And then what is, because we have a hard time always thinking at this level and talking at this level and being at this level. So we have to start simplifying it into rules and, and ideas that are like more um, palatable, especially for younger people and teaching our children. And then some things can get lost. Yeah. And it Creating shrinks. boundaries. Exactly. And, and literally embracing us, knowing where where we begin and end right. and where the rules and it's compressed it compresses it a lot of things and that's not bad we need it in order to function sometimes because you can't always function at this level like each person has their life situations like different things that are going on but the idea is to at least almost like like to know what the target is even if you can't that's exactly what it, what it says in the end of Parshas Yisro like why did Hashem do this traumatic 
ripping open of existence for us. You know, like he says, the reason is that you could have, that way you could have yira, and yira is always translated as fear, which is unfortunately a compression of a concept. But yira means awareness of the presence of another self, and in this case, it's the super self that's behind all being. So even if we don't see that all the time, the sense of the the largeness, I guess you could say it's not really the right word, but like the bigness of being, expansiveness, <laughs> there we go, great word, um, is like, you know, you get the imprint of that and then it's like, oh, that's where, that's, like I could become that a little and like I had an experience, you know, where I was in that state for a minute and then it's like, I want to become more of that. Okay, how and do once, I do it? And once you've experienced it, it's something that you, that you yearn to go back for. And I think right. I was just listening to share with Riv Shlomo Katz and he was talking about the concept of year as, as something we've, we've experienced that closeness and we're so scared to, yeah. to not experience it again, right? right? And, um, and that, that's really what embodied Torah is, is all about. Inviting, knowing that we, we have the option to invite all of these different aspects of ourselves to every aspect of Torah learning and practice and experience. And it's shifting shifting from from the concept of experiential learning which is super important where we're we're using our body in order to learn and understand everything that we're learning and embodied torah is about being in the body in our learning and practice of mitzvot right and the body is not just a physical body it's all of these these aspects of ourselves that we're really right. trying to become aware of and and invite on a very practical level right okay so i think that's a good ending point for this first episode um, I just want to just to clarify for the I guess the plan of what we want to do is in each episode obviously have this kind of discussion and then try to almost like make it focus on particular um, let's say even just the example of breathing which I think there's so much to talk about with breathing and so and, much and it's both on, on the technique level and then on the actual like trying things out level and then also articulating just the depth of the concept I mean like I think that when we spoke before this episode one of the most fascinating things that I I never thought of this um, is about how we live in an air pressure environment and the way that we actually breathe is that we have to like almost like we, we how did you explain it you hashem, it you hashem it. is breathing us right hashem is breathing us so, we are constantly surrounded by 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 the gift of breath and what's and we have to just let it in what's happening on a biomechanic right. level we have to we have to flush this out in, right in, I, in I, I feel bad episode. just throwing this in there now I know. Then. but the idea is was like just that you could that, that breathing is just we're lowering letting it the in. pressure inside right. of we, our exactly. lungs we, to receive we literally breath. we make room in our in our lungs to receive breath yeah i mean that's such a there's so many things that need to be said about that which we're not going to say them now even though i really want to um but <laughs> you just have to watch an, the next episode exactly but just as an example of something which is like a technique that's used in so many different ways in so many areas and and both with obviously within the yoga and Eastern philosophy, but like just even in just the modern Western philosophy people have in the business world today, there's like using breathing techniques to help do these, you know, do better, do better business. I mean, I don't think it's dumb that we have Corona right now and it is directly affecting people's ability to breathe. I right. think that there is tremendous also. depth and wisdom and our, I, we're being guided to, to become more aware of this and... Right. We so have work to do. That's, that's basically the, the, an example of what we want to do, to bring those kinds of techniques and flesh them out and then uh, literally flesh them out and then, uh, and then um, show all the Torah that is kind of inter, interlocked with, uh, with these embodied, embodied Torah um, expressions. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, and thanks so much, Ariella, for joining me. And thanks I, for having me. An amazing collaboration. I can't wait to do more of this. And uh, yeah, so everybody, all the listeners out there, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, join us for the next episodes. And hopefully this will change your lives as much as it's changing mine. So uh, thanks so much. <laughs>